in uh, Luke chapter 15. And I invite you to open your Bibles or follow along with the words on screen as we read uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Like many of you, I grew up surrounded by fruit trees. I grew up in Santo Domingo, and our yard in Santo Domingo in the DR was full of fruit trees in the back. We had uh, two varieties of mango trees and another on the side, uh, an avocado tree, an orange tree, a, a passion fruit vine, a, a key lime tree, a, a soursop tree, uh, bananas and plantains galore, hot peppers, a, a coconut in the front yard. And all of these trees gave delicious, bountiful fruit, and we ate from them year-round, except for one that avocado tree. That poor avocado tree produced no fruit for many, many years. And when I was six or seven, when we first moved to that house, uh, that avocado tree produced abundantly. It, it had such a heavy crop that we couldn't eat all of them. And the avocados were these big, heavy green avocados with the, the light uh, flavor to them. And so we set up a table on the sidewalk outside of our house, and we sold the fruit to the people who drove by. And they stopped and bought because everyone wants to buy fruit from little blonde kids selling fruit on the side of the road. And in my memory, of course my memory might be wrong, but in my memory that tree produced like a thousand avocados that year. And then, then the termites struck. Then the termites came and our dear avocado tree got infested with the termites. And these little ant-like creatures worked their way into the bark and through the tree and they eat the bar, the, all of the, the, the good parts of the tree. They, they make these little tunnels up the side and they hollow it out. The tree was devastated. Uh, the branches broke off here and there, just rotted. Uh, the tree stopped producing fruit. The leaves already were suffering from some kind of virus it had. And we tried everything. We tried folk remedies. We tried agricultural chemicals. We, we painted diesel fuel on the trunk of the tree to see if that would keep the termites away didn't work. We painted the trunk of the tree white because someone said that would help. Didn't work, but we had a white tree after that. Uh, we, we injected it with chemicals, I, I think. My dad might correct me if I'm wrong. And I even did my part as a seven-year-old. Uh, you know, I, I took my sticks and I would scrape off all of the little tunnels that the termites made up the side of the bark of the tree. 
But they just kept coming. They just kept eating up the tree. And, and we finally gave up hope of ever eating any more avocados from that tree. Now Jesus here tells a story about a tree that will not give fruit. And, and it's this story that I'm sure many of us can relate to. Whether we've gardened or grown fruit trees in our backyards, we've all got that one tree, that one bush, that perennial that just won't produce. And you can't quite bring yourself to cut it down yet, can you? You're still hoping that maybe, maybe, just maybe, next year it will produce. Well, Jesus tells this story in an answer to this question he gets from the crowds. And it's a question that comes straight from the pages of the Jerusalem Times, or so they say. It's this latest tragedy of the day. And everyone wants to know, what will Jesus say? What will he do? How will he respond to this awful thing that happened? And Jesus, as usual, is going to confuse and disappoint them. See, Jesus has been teaching in and around Jerusalem for the last few chapters. Uh, A few weeks ago, or last week, sorry, we saw Jesus walk up from Jerusalem, from Jericho to Jerusalem on the road. And on the way, he told this story of a Samaritan who shows mercy to a man on the side of the road. And it's this radical kind of mercy. It's a mercy that doesn't know our boundaries. It doesn't recognize them. It doesn't look at who's worthy and who's not. It just shows mercy. And Jesus challenges his listeners to go and do likewise. Then over the next two chapters, which we skipped over, Jesus uh, teaches and says and does a lot of different things in and around Jerusalem. And the crowds are following him everywhere. And there's people from Galilee who followed him all the way down to Jerusalem who've come to bring their sacrifices. And there's people from Jerusalem and Judea and the surrounding towns who are uh, following Jesus too. And they've come to Jesus with this terrible awful news. Pilate has committed yet another horrible atrocity. Now the people of Galilee were supposedly bringing their sacrifices to the temple. And these people were killed in broad daylight in the temple courts. And their blood was mixed with the sacrifices that they were going to give on the altar. And Pilate has desecrated the holy place in one of the worst possible ways. And this isn't the first time Pilate has done something like this. And we know from history that it's totally on brand for him. The Romans assigned him to Jerusalem because he was too, uh, he was, he was too cruel where he was assigned somewhere else. And so he was moved to this backwater post hoping that he'd calm down. Well, he, he didn't calm down. And it was not the last time. This isn't even the last time that Pilate commits a horrible atrocity. And we'll see that later come Holy Week. Pilate even gets fired from Jerusalem again later on in his career because of all the awful things he does. But the people want Jesus to answer to this. They want an answer to why did this happen. They want him to denounce the Roman Empire, their evil and their cruelty. They want him to take on Pilate and start a revolution. They want him to do something about it. They want him to say something about it. And Jesus, as usual, answers their question with a question. He, he says, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners because, than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? He, he takes their question and he turns it back on them. But Jesus is a Galilean himself, and he's come to Jerusalem knowing what the Jerusalem people think about them and him. They're dirty and poor and unclean and unfaithful. They are not good Jews. They are not as good as us good Jerusalem people. They must have done something to deserve it. Maybe they didn't follow the purity laws just right. They must have sinned. That was the common view at that time. And now, you know, you you sin, you suffer. You've done something. If you're suffering, then you must have sinned. You must have done something to deserve what's happening to you. 
But Jesus rejects that idea outright. He says, I tell you, no. That is not how it works. That's not how God works. God didn't bring down this outside punishment on these people because they were sinners. Um, no, they, they, uh, their suffering is horrible, and, but it's not the way it's supposed to be. God does sometimes punish people, we see in the Old Testament, for, for sin, but not here. And Jesus knows it. Jesus says, no, they, did not sin, they were not worse sinners than everyone else. This question here of, of this suffering and sin is a question that believers of all sorts of religions deal with. And I don't think anyone has a, a perfect answer to this problem of evil. But Jesus doesn't engage that big question. He has something else in mind. See, Jesus flips their idea back on them. He says, but, but unless you repent, you all will perish. Jesus calls them to repentance. Jesus says the, the, the surprising thing isn't that people were brutally killed by the empire. The amazing thing is that everyone here isn't already dead because of their sins. And just in case these Jerusalem folk think they're better than the Galileans, Jesus has another story to tell them. And it's a, a close-to-home story. It's a tragedy that strikes close to home. This tower in Jerusalem fell down sometime around this time, and 18 people died. And probably everyone in Jerusalem knows someone who died in the accident. Kind of like 9-11 in New York. Everyone knew someone who died. And Jesus asks them, do you think they are more guilty than all the others in Jerusalem? The crowds are thinking about religion. They're thinking about religion with a capital R. That The world works like this, they think. You get what you deserve. You reap what you sow. But that is not how the gospel works. That is not how the gospel works as Jesus is going to show them. See, because tragedy, we see, is a chance for repentance. It's this wake-up call to those who survive. It's this reminder to us that it could have been me. And as someone once said, uh, there go I, but for the grace of God. Now Jesus, again here, is rejecting the lie of religion with a capital R. He's saying, truly, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Because Jesus isn't going to play their game. He's not going to calculate who's good and who isn't, who deserves punishment and who doesn't. That is how religion thinks. No, this is gospel. And again, repentance is the key thing here. The word is important because it means, in, in the Gospel of Luke, it means a changed heart and a changed life. It means reorienting your heart towards Jesus it, and your gut and your life and your mind toward something new. Repentance isn't just feeling sorry for what you've done. No, it's this life change that starts with the heart. Now, one, one commentator says that the most important thing for everyone is to live lives of penitent trust before God. It's not to try to figure out if our suffering or someone else's suffering is random or punishment. No, it's to live lives of humble repentance, to, to trust faithfully in what God, because trust is an all-the-time kind of thing. It, it doesn't matter whether we're suffering or we're rejoicing. We penitently, faithfully trust in God. Because life in God's kingdom, says this commentator, is, is not a big game about gaining favors and avoiding losses. No, it's about humble faithfulness, no matter what comes. Now, Jesus has another answer to their question about suffering and sin, and, and he tells it in the form of a story, as Jesus often does. It's the parable of the fig tree. You know, this man has a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and that alone is a bit unusual because fig trees don't usually grow in vineyards. That's where grapes grow. 
The tree must have stood out from the rest of the land and looming over the grapevines. After the grapes have been harvested in the fall, then the, the fig tree starts blossoming and producing fruit. It sticks out. And this man must have loved his fig tree because he comes year after year looking for its delicious fruit. Maybe it produced for years these, these big, soft, delicious figs. I haven't had a lot of fresh figs in my life. I've lived in the wrong places. But uh, if they're anything like dried figs, they must be an amazing fruit. So this, this man, this vineyard owner, comes looking for fruit but does not find any. And the man who must be rich finds his gardener and his right-hand man, his helper, and he says, for three years now I've been coming to my vineyard looking for fruit on this fig tree and I have not found any. Now you can hear the, the sadness in the man's voice. You can also hear his frustration. He's mad that this tree hasn't produced. Cut it down, he says. Why should it use up the soil? And he's angry with the tree. He's angry that the, the, the soil there is thin and the organic material is scarce. And why waste it on a tree that just won't produce fruit? Now the gardener has a different perspective. He asks the man to leave the tree alone. Instead of ignoring it, he digs in, literally. He, he takes a shovel and he uh, digs around it, working in the manure. He pays the tree close attention, watching for disease. He, he improves the soil. He, he gives the tree the best chance it can at producing fruit. If it does, great. And if it doesn't, well, next year we'll cut it down. Now this story is a direct answer to the previous question that people had. See, people were asking about sin and suffering and tragedy. If, if it's a matter of sin, then we'd all deserve to be cut down, says Jesus. We all deserve to die, but it is not. It is a matter of grace. We all get a chance to produce fruit. And in the, the traditional classical interpretation of this parable, we, we see that God is often the landowner, and Jesus is the gardener, and we are the tree. Now, of course, Israel has this long history of seeing themselves as a tree, as a vine. There are so many passages in the Old Testament where Israel is compared to a tree or a vineyard. Uh, one of my favorites is from Isaiah 5, where someone plants a vineyard and puts in good grapes and builds a wall around it to protect it and hopes for good fruit. But all they get are sour grapes. And what do they do? They rip down the wall and they tear out the vines and they destroy the vineyard. And at the end of that story, it says... Israel is the vineyard, and God is the landowner. We've all failed to bear fruit, and we all deserve to be cut down. And that's what Romans 3.23 says in a nutshell. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Christ, the good gardener, he steps in when we're about to be cut down. He, he tills the soil of our hearts. He fertilizes the ground. He works hard to give the tree a chance and our commentator says that it's Jesus' blood who is poured out on the ground to fertilize the soil. That, that the manure around our roots is the very blood of the one who pleads for us before God. The one who, who, through whom we may offer up our fruits in the kingdom of God. Because God's grace cannot be earned, whether it's for good or ill. Just like suffering isn't the result of sin, there is nothing you can do to earn God's grace or favor. All good gifts from, come from the good giver without regard for our merit. And God's good grace cannot be fully accepted unless we change our hearts, unless we live lives of changed towards our God and our neighbor. Because Jesus, the good gardener, shows us what's that li what that's like. And everyone expects at the end of this story that the tree will be cut down. 
but not Jesus. He digs in. He fully expects the tree will bear fruit. Now, Jesus does not tell us the end of the story. He leaves us hanging like most parables, and we're expected to imagine what would this fig tree look like in the future. Will it give fruit or will it be cut down? And that is the question for the people of Israel and for God's people today. Will we repent? Do we repent and live changed lives so that we may continue to bear fruit in God's kingdom? Now, the story of the fig tree is sometimes misused by uh, those so-called prosperity gospel preachers. They say, uh, look at the fig tree. It must have deserved that special attention. It must have done something right, uh, prayed hard enough, uh, given enough seed money to my ministry. And that's why I got the special blessing, the extra fertilizer, the, the personal attention from Jesus. But if we read the scripture carefully, we see that couldn't be further from the truth. This tree got special, special attention from Jesus, not because it was fruitful, but because it was fruitless. Not because it was fruitful, but because it was fruitless. See, one commentator says that this interpretation is attractive for those who like to think that uh, we have comfortable houses when so many are homeless, and we have a lot of money when so many are poor, or we have all kinds of food to eat when so many are ill, because somehow we have been particularly faithful, that we deserve our blessing. But what if the reason we've been blessed isn't because we've been faithful, but because we've been faithless? like the fig tree. Maybe those privileges we have are a sign of the impending doom that is coming. It's not a blessing, but a warning of what's going to happen if we do not produce fruit. And if that's the case, we've got a lot of repenting to do. Because it's God's grace that changes our hearts. It's, it's God's grace through Jesus Christ that enables us to live changed lives. It's his work fertilizing our hearts and improving the soil that will make all the difference. And that is Jesus' point in this parable of the fig tree. That's why he answered this crowd's question about suffering and sin and what is going on in our lives. It's because of God's grace. Now, my family's avocado tree took a, a, a worse hit way back in 98. There was a hurricane, Hurricane George, that swept through the Dominican Republic, and uh, it, it came through a few miles north of our house, and that avocado, avocado tree just could not stand against the winds. Uh, after the storm passed, we found the crown and most of the branches down in our backyard, and it crushed pretty much everything in there, and we thought that was the end of the tree. It, it, it was nice to have a more sunny backyard to be able to grow more things there, but we didn't think we'd get any fruit. But the next year, some, some leaves sprouted and some branches grew, and then avocados started blossoming on the end of those branches. And that year, we got a few avocados off of the tree. And the next year, a few more, and the next year, a few more. And it never produced as many as it did in the past, but it fought off those termites. It grow, grew new branches and became fruitful again. And we ate those avocados and we gave them away and we enjoyed them with our rice and beans every day. See, God's grace is the reason that we can bear fruit. Yes, there are consequences for not bearing fruit. Yes, but God's gardening grace is greater than our fruitlessness because Jesus is a better gardener than we are trees. Jesus is the better gardener. He is the best gardener. And we give thanks and praise to God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit for what he's done for us. Amen. Let's pray. God, your grace is abundant and poured out on us.
And we, we receive that grace watering the, the soil of our hearts, knowing that it is the blood of Jesus that feeds us and nourishes us and enables us to give fruit. So help us to do that, to recognize your grace that we've received and, and to see the, both the, the warning for repentance and also the, the hope of fruit that may come in your kingdom. May we be people of good fruit, bearing fruit of repentance, fruit of love and worship to you and fruit of service to our neighbor. May we do that fully rooted in your kingdom grace, knowing that we depend on you for all and that we put our hope and trust in you. So uh, stir in our hearts this desire of repentance, this changed life and changed action, that we may be your people who, who serve and love in the world. We long for Jesus Christ to make us new and whole and to give a, a good crop of fruit in our lives. And we pray that it may be a crop of blessing for us and for our neighbors and our, uh, our community and for your world, that your name may be known and glorified, that all people may come to know Jesus Christ and bow at his feet. We pray this in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.